Atamaria, welcome to First Up. It is Ramere, that's Friday, the 5th of August. Corn Nathan Rarity, I hope. Coming up, we're going to have the latest as US basketball star Brittany Griner is sentenced in Russia. We speak to a researcher who found that the right music can help you tune out pain. Country and soul singer Tammy Nielsen calls for her audiences to mask up. And the All Blacks' reputation is at stake in South Africa this weekend. Stuff's Mark Hinton is live with us from the Republic. We get out there on the streets and we do a confidence check from the public about the men in black. The rest of the world's caught up on New Zealand rugby. Oh, I don't see why you should just disband the coach just because you lost a couple of games. Do you think the coach should stay or go? Go. Go. And I mean go. Atamaria, welcome to First Up for Friday. And we begin this morning in the USA. A couple of big stories over there. Uh, The first is US basketball star Brittany Griner uh, was arrested and detained in Russia earlier this year on drugs charges. She has been sentenced. So joining us uh, from New York City and amongst the giant rats that steal pizza and take it to the subway, it's Bevan Hurley. Kia ora, Bevan. Tell me what um, Brittany Griner, they've given her the sentence. How long will she spend in Russian prison? Kelda Nathan, yeah, we just heard about an hour ago that um, Brittany Griner was sentenced to nine years in prison uh, in Russia for the possession of that tiny amount of cannabis that was in um, her luggage when she arrived in the country in February. Uh, the two-time Olympic gold medalist pled guilty uh, during a trial, and in her final statement to the court on Thursday, she asked for leniency and explained that she had no intention of breaking any Russian laws, and yet she still received close to the maximum term of 10 years. Her supporters in the US say that the sentence has very little to do with the actual charges, but rather it's all about the Russians trying to maximise leverage and their ongoing prisoner swap negotiations with the US. And in a statement, uh, President Biden called the sentence unacceptable and said the government would continue to work tirelessly to bring her home. Right. Yeah, well, we'll uh, keep our eyes on that one. Also, too, if we cast our minds back to 2020, uh, the death of Breonna Taylor was uh, just, you know, also just a, a huge story around the United States, faded a little bit there. But I see the police officers involved uh, in her death have been arrested. So can you just remind us of the case and tell us what's happened there? Yeah, so back in um, March of 2020, Breonna Taylor uh, was shot dead in her bed by four US police officers who charged in at midnight on a no-knock search warrant and just basically started blasting away. Um, So only one of the uh, officers was ever charged and he was actually acquitted uh, of all offences by a jury earlier this year. Um, And so this has really come like a bolt from the blue, Nathan. Um, So four US police officers have been been federally charged this morning, um, no less than Attorney General Merrick Garland um, announced uh, their arrest and, um, and charges. And basically, um, Mr. Garland said that the officers had breached Ms. Taylor's civil rights, committed unlawful conspiracy and unconstitutional use of force and obstruction. And so they're accused of conspiring after the shooting to cover up the fact that the warrant was based on false information, as well as making false statements and interviews with criminal investigators. And there's some really interesting detail coming out. Um, Two of the officers are alleged to have met in a garage weeks after the botched raid to try to get their stories straight. And of course, it must be remembered that this um, all happened just a few months before the George uh, Floyd shooting in Minneapolis. So it was a time of great racial upheaval. And I think this is really going to, you know, soothe some of those wounds in these guys charged. 
It's been the year of court trials in the United States, uh, be it celebrity actors or hearings, whatever. But Alex Jones, so everyone, Alex Jones is the very far-right figure, uh, info wars, etc. He's been saying for a long time that Sandy Hook was just a you know a bunch of crisis actors, whatever. He's on trial, and he's been caught in an amazing lie. Uh, tell the audience about this that he's been caught in. <laughs> yeah, so um, a trial is being held in Austin, Texas, to determine how much Alex Jones should pay the parents of one of the victims of the Sandy Hook massacre um, for defaming them. Um, the, the defamation has already been proven, so this is just to settle on the um, dollar figure amount, and they're asking for $150 million. And so Alex Jones took the stand earlier this week, and um, the uh, the parents' lawyer confronted him with some text messages that he had received by mistake from Jones's lawyer. And in these text messages, it was clear that Jones had been communicating with other people about the Sandy Hook school shootings, even though he'd sworn during the discovery phase of the trial that he hadn't been. Um, And so this was just a a stunning revelation and one that obviously Jones had no clue was coming. And (laughs) it's also got the attention of the January 6th Commission, Nathan, because as you'll remember, Alex Jones was a really pivotal figure um, in the whole stop the steal election big lie. He was there on January 6th giving um, speeches as those rioters breached the Capitol. And almost immediately uh, after this revelation in in court, um, the January 6th committee said that they were um, looking at subpoenaing the messages and of great interest to them will be any text messages between um, Jones and other Republican operatives like uh, Roger Stone, people in the government. I mean, we know he was friendly with Donald Trump, so who knows what's going to come out in this. It is getting interestinger and interesting. No, what was the same? Curiouser and curiouser is what it was. Bevan Hurley, thank you very much for your time. Yes, uh, everybody. And the other B storyline to that is like, it seems like his lawyer did the, when I say accidentally, I'm saying it in air quotes, sent it to the other side. Maybe he's like, this guy's not worth defending. Wild speculation, but that's just what I thought. It is 11 past five. You're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity. And I'm keen for your feedback today. Hive mind, here we go. We've got a story coming up later on about um, music alleviating pain or whether it can do so. So here's what I would like. What song gives you a headache? Has to be a song. Right, I don't want to hear, no, nah, I hate jazz. No, 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 give me, give me a particular song. What song gives you a headache? Or is there a song that always actually makes you feel good? Maybe that as well. Well, we can either go the downer news cycle or the positive news cycle. We've got either one there for you. What song gives you a headache? What song always makes you feel good? Pep in the step, lifts you up, that kind of thing. 2101 is the number two text to, or if you've got big thoughts to share, first up at rnz.co.nz. Um, we'll go to Africa now, where I'm joined uh, this week for his weekly roundup of news uh, from the continent is our correspondent in Ghana, Nabil Ahmed. Morena, Nabil. Maureen and Nathan, how are you? I'm good. So our rugby team is in South Africa. Uh, I want to start there with news there because suspected illegal workers have been targeted by mobs in South Africa. What is behind this violence? Well, uh, Nathan, this particular violence is as a result of widespread anger in South Africa after a large group of miners were accused of gang rape of about eight women just last week. Now, um, residents of South African uh, township uh, near Johannesburg actually went about uh, setting homes of these migrants up place uh, because they believe also that they are illegally working in this uh, used local mines. Now, uh, for now, police say they've um, arrested some dozens of uh, people connected 
to the assault, but none have actually been charged with rape. Now, Nathan, you know that uh, in some years now, uh, poverty has been one of the drivers of xenophobic attacks in South Africa because largely the locals complain that migrants are taking away their jobs. Yeah, well, it's a horrible story. Um, we'll keep abreast of that one. So we'll go to Nigeria now. Why is the government fined broadcasters there over a BBC report? Well, uh, Nathan, the government says uh, the uh, broadcasters actually flouted a code of the National Broadcasting Commission by airing the BBC documentary, which they claim, quote, uh, it glorified the activities of bandits and also undermines uh, national security. And also uh, the fact that um, things are not going well with Nigeria and they felt the BBC documentary didn't do justice with the current situation. But BBC, in its defense, has come out to say that that particular documentary was in the public interest and that it stands by its journalism. And you know that uh, four broadcasters in Nigeria have actually been fined $12,000 each and they're supposed to pay this money by the end of this month, Nathan. It's not long to pay that up. We'll go to uh, Kenya. And and in Kenya, a top judge has said to his lawyers, it's okay, you don't have to wear those wigs. What's behind this? (laughs) Well, it's just basically because there is a short in supply of those wigs. And Ah. uh, you know that, um, like, many... Many uh, African countries, Kenya continues to wear uh, those wigs that has been passed uh, through a legacy of British colonialism. And uh, for now, some 700 uh, lawyers in Kenya are due to be admitted to the bar just this Friday. And this chief justice is saying because of the shortened supply of these Kelly white wigs, um, it's not compulsory for all of them to really wear the wigs for that occasion. Those who willingly would want to do so, uh, that's fine. But then it's not compulsory now. Okay. <laughs> and finally, the Commonwealth Games, they've been big with us. How's it been going for the African countries? Yes, it's been exciting watching uh, many uh, participants from Africa participating in the uh, Commonwealth Games. And you know, the medal table for the African nations uh, the uh, Commonwealth Games in Birmingham is actually looking very good. Now, the uh, uh, competition is just halfway, and uh, nine African nations have won 46 medals, Nathan, and uh, this includes 13 gold medals, uh, 15 silvers, and 18 bronze. Now, South Africa is ahead of the continental gold rush, uh, followed by Nigeria, Uganda, Kenya, and then Cameroon. But then, um, with athletics be- and boxing being a strong opportunity to gain medals for uh, the Africans, uh, we expect that the table of the medals will actually keep increasing, Nathan. Thank you very much, Nabil Ahmed, uh, with us every week from Africa, joining us there from Ghana. It is 16 past five. Tea with Terrorists is a performance that promises to take audiences on a, uh, a life-straddling two cultures. Written and performed by Samina Zera, the play examines the nature of conflict and the need for power and control. And it's the first show written by a South Asian woman to be programmed at Wellington's Circa Theatre. I spoke with director Sabrina Martin, as well as Samina, and and actually, I began by asking you about her background. It's this whole thing of straddling different cultures. I'm British, I'm Indian. I'm very, I've had a very nomadic life. I don't think I've lived anywhere in the world more than nine or ten years. And I've been in Aotearoa for now three years. And I guess it's just a collection of stories that express that and are about my family and about places I've been lucky enough to visit. Sometimes not that lucky, quite dangerous places to visit. And really, it's a, it's a look at 
the humanity that is within all of us and the way in which we express that humanity and how we have so much more in common at the end of the day than we do do not have in common, really. So, I mean, it is quite interesting because I guess if you're moving as often as you do, you know, yeah. for most of us now, we stay in one area and that really helps us, I guess, feel grounded into something. But you're challenging yourself quite often to, I guess, change the way you think or be, you know, accepting to new ideas by doing that. Is that correct? Hey, I don't know if I'm doing anything so noble as challenging myself. I have a very short attention span and I enjoy travel and I enjoy... I'm constantly surprised by people and the world, and I have had a privileged enough life that allows me to indulge that curiosity and be able to move around freely, which a lot of people, of course, don't have access to. I think a lot of, you know, I've been lucky enough to learn different languages and be exposed to different food, which amazing, and all sorts of culture. And I think, yeah, it's a great gift. It's kind of weird as well because you have to build community wherever you go, and that's not always easy. But, yeah, I guess I've just been unbelievably lucky. Well, you've, I mean, you've done some great stuff. I, I loved this bit here I saw in your CV, Level 2 Chocolate Taster. That's fantastic, <laughs> there. But the blurb also says, Fear is redundant, joy is essential, and terrorists can be a real hoot. Uh, are audiences yes. going to laugh and cry? I hope they're not going to cry, they're def- and I hope they're definitely going to laugh. I mean, there is some hard stuff in this because I do talk about war and the nature of what that does to communities and the nature of the people who get swept up in that quite what they're in for, including like soldiers and stuff. The soldiers that I met in Afghanistan, for example, were not gung-ho and were not, you know, oh, we're saving the world. They were bewildered and hurting. And because at the end of the day, they're human and they realize they're in a place with other people. Humans are also being put into this mess by people who are many thousands of miles away doing intellectual exercises and what is right and wrong. And sometimes they're very, very stupid. Some of the terrorists that I have met have been uh, just so stupid that you're like, oh, you are not going to last. You barely know how to tie your shoelaces. What are you doing here? So it's a bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to um, Sabrina. So Sabrina, you're directing this. You've done some acting this year too and also directing. What was it about Samina's play that it attracted you? Samina is such an engaging storyteller and so funny and I've seen some of her work before and really manages to straddle the space of talking about things that maybe are difficult or political just with so much heart and kind of centering the individual and that just deft ability to go across those different things it just really drew me to the work and these particular stories are just so magic and the characters are wonderful. We've counted that we've got at least 30 characters that kind of pop up for little moments in this and um, I was just really drawn to all of their stories and, and their personalities. That's a lot to keep track of and you head there. I know it's the first show of its kind there at Circa so when you mention all of that put together it's quite exciting for a Wellington audiences isn't it? Yeah I think so and as you said it's the first story of this kind. We believe it's the first script written by a South Asian woman to be presented at Circus, so here we go. Audiences are going to be just brought into something that's truly delightful and rich. As Samina has said, really just straddling different cultures. It's very insightful and also very sweet and charming as well. Samina, it sounds like a great story to come to. We'll bring our own chocolate. Give us the dates that we need to be there. So the dates are between the 5th and the 27th of August. There's a number of different kinds of shows as well. There are some shows which have 
touch tours, there are relaxed performances, and there are four NZSL performances as well. And I'm very keen to broaden audiences because I think art should be accessible to everybody and anybody who wants to see it. And it's some, it does become a sort of slightly elitist thing. But one of the nice things about Circa Theatre and working with them is that they have a real commitment also to inclusion and access. So we're doing all of that. And then also the, my company that's producing it has a no lack of fun for lack of funds policy, which means that in the seven days before a performance, if you want to come and see a show and you just can't afford it, you just email us and we will give you some free tickets and there's no questions asked. And sometimes people feel shy to ask for themselves. So you can also nominate a friend or someone you think could do with a night out at the theatre but can't afford it and will be too embarrassed or shy to ask. Mm, I'm also not too embarrassed or shy to ask if anyone out there knows how to set me up with a job as a chocolate taster. I think I'd go pretty well. That was uh, Samina Zera and also Sabrina Martin and Tea with Terrorists is on at Wellington's Circuit Theatre. Five twenty-two. You are listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Radere. Coming up later on, we've got a story about how music uh, can be a really good therapy for pain. I asked you specific songs uh, that make you happy, or you know, that actually give you a headache. Uh, here's one that's coming. First up, the first one we got: "Push the Button" by Sugar Babes makes me feel good. "Dancing Queen" by ABBA makes me want to stab myself in the ears. That came in from. Unknown. Um, so look, coming up, the excitement of Fruit of the Week. Mark Hinton is with us from South Africa ahead of the All Blacks Clash uh, with the Springboks. And we'll talk more about that chronic pain. If you would like to tell us what song uh, you love or what song gives you a headache, 2101. Let's go to the fruit and veggie markets with the minister. It's Glenn Forsyth. What are you Glenn? Well, Nathan, how are you? I'm pretty good. I want to know this. What is the biggest selling produce item that we've got in our country at the moment, Glenn? Yes, well, it's the banana. Which, oh. I mean, it's, it's such an amazing product, and Kiwis eat a lot of them. The number one fruit seller in the produce department. And how many bananas would you eat in a week? Oh, do you know what? I love them. I absolutely love them. I like, you know, it comes with its own suitcase. You know, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's just a great thing, really, the, the banana. Uh, I'd, I'd smash through as many as I can, actually. <laughs> You're a good man. Yeah. I mean, well, well, I'm a little piglet, two a day, and, you know, one slice <laughs> on the breakfast uh, cereal with other in-season fruit, then another in a smoothie. I mean, the beauty about the banana, that they're always in season. New Zealand has an interesting history with bananas. In the early 1900s, they all came from the Pacific Islands. Later on, we would get a regulated market with supplies from South America. However, roughly 30 years ago, the banana monopoly, if you like, that was deregulated. And just some of the benefits, eating bananas every day is boosting energy. I mean, this this is a huge list. Decreasing stress levels, improving digestion, digestion, maintaining normal blood pressure, protects your heart, decreases cancer risk, preventing type 2 diabetes, reduces bad cholesterol levels, supports healthy eyes, eases hangovers. Uh, what? Who put that in there? And, and can banish <laughs> and, and pe- pe- MS pain. So in this um, madly accelerated age of fast cars, fast phones, fast talk and fast food, spare a thought for the fast banana. It can be unzipped, as you said, Nathan, from its natural packet in seconds and eaten as you like it. And I've learned from cartoons as well. If you're being chased by Chicago gangsters, you just drop a banana skin <laughs> and they woof and off they go. It's really good. Um, what about the, the veggie part of the world? 
Uh, yeah, there are a few good choices this weekend on vegetables, which are in good supply. Starting on root crops that you can buy, you know, for confidence for your wallet. Carrots and kumara, they're there. There is also nice fresh USA garlic down here at the markets. White button mushrooms are readily available, and with the weather getting kinder in Australia, we are beginning to see their beans and courgettes again, and even our lettuce is, is slowly improving in quality. On greens, the humble cabbage has probably set a new New Zealand record this year for the longest number of weeks on being short, but leeks and cauliflower remain in steady supply through our winter. The cauliflower aren't the biggest, but they are a clean white, and at least they're not absurd in pricing. Stealing some hints here from Dad's book, but before cooking, soak for about an hour with the head down in cold water, adding a teaspoon each vinegar and salt to freshen. Cauliflower will also cook quicker, uh, quicker if you cross-cut the base of the stalk. And if it has become discoloured, add, add a teaspoon of lemon juice to the cooking water to brighten it up. Right. It's mainly about the cheese and the breadcrumbs, let's be honest. Okay, hey, Glenn, we, we're running short of time, so we need to jump straight to, Glenn, no problem. what is your fruit of the week? It's bananas. <laughs> Everybody, banana, banana, banana. Glenn, I've been waiting two years for you to say banana, and we're finally here. I agree with you. I mean, not only bananas are in great steady supply during our winter, they're not an expensive fruit. And it's a fascinating story of the travels the banana goes from plantation to our stores. This includes a four to five day ripening program here in New Zealand and some very intricate and risky pre-ordering by our importers constantly throughout the year. Now for cyclists, runners and swimmers, bananas are popular as a marvellous energy food eaten on the go. Dave Scott ate them during his 1982 Hawaiian Ironman win and the following year the competitors ate 7,000 pounds of them. And during an approximate 30 mile swimming race around Manhattan Island in the, in the same decade, triathlete Dave Horning, he took uh, time out to flat out, float on his back and eat bananas. Well, <laughs> it's yeah, like an otter, just banged a couple of bananas together and that's how you do them. Hey, Glenn, yeah, have a great weekend, my friend. Thank you very much, everybody. He is the Minister of Fruit and Veggies. Yes, the banana song. That was the Agrolites. I'm waiting for that for a long time. Sing your roll a pole a pile a penny a Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. It is the day of our life. We call the 5th of August. People say, you must have watched a lot of TV when you were growing up. I'm like, yeah, it's Gen X. It's what we did, right? Two things that got me in front of the TV's birthday uh, in the early 80s. Uh, It is uh, Maureen McCormick's birthday. Now you go, who's Maureen McCormick? I know that name. Marsha Brady, if you watch The Brady Bunch. 66 years old today. And it's a happy 77th birthday to Lonnie Anderson, or as we knew her, Jennifer Marlowe from WKRP. Uh, there we go. So it's her birthday today. She's 77. James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, Peacemaker, Suicide Squad, is 52 years old today. And basketball player Patrick Ewing. 60 years old. Gone but not forgotten and born on this day, the first human to walk on the moon, Neil Armstrong, born in Wapakoneta, Ohio, on this day in 1930. And MCA, Adam Yuck, of the Beastie Boys, born on this day in 1964. If we go to our arts and culture desk, a couple of, um, oh, it's a couple of musicy ones today. In 1966 on this day, uh, the single came out, Yellow Submarine with Eleanor Rigby in the UK. That's not bad there for the Beatles. Quite a big day for them. And on this day in 1973, Innova 
Visions. Oh, 49 years old today. The album from Stevie Wonder included songs like Don't You Worry About a Thing, Too High, Living for the City, and the fantastic Higher Ground. And uh, that is uh, those are our happenings that we like to call the day of our life, the 5th of August. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. Joining us now from the business team is Nicholas Poynton. Kia ora, Nicholas. Good morning, Nathan. Uh, tell me about the car rental businesses. I understand that they're, they're struggling with a lack of something that you really do need to do, need to have to be a car rental business. Yeah, they, they don't have enough cars. Okay. So when the pandemic hit, rental cars, that, that whole industry just got absolutely hammered. And a lot of many firms were on the rocks. And one of the ways that they looked to free up cash flow was to sell the very the, the main asset, their main overhead, which is their vehicle fleet. And we've seen that on an international scale. We saw it here locally with rental cars here, just uh, companies just dumping as many cars as they, po- as they could possible, as they could as possible to try and you know generate cash flow in the business. But now, what we've seen internationally and locally to a degree is that many of these companies have sort of borders are reopening. There's been a sustained level of demand. There's actually not enough cars to go around. And as a consequence, in, in some cases, rental fares have, have jumped um, exponentially. My, my, my brother and his wife, they're about to get to Ireland soon. They cannot believe how much they have to pay for a rental car versus previous times they've had to go. That's a really mu- very much a global phenomenon. But what we've seen locally is that one of the world's biggest rental car companies is actually teaming up, partnering with Go Rentals. So that's Enterprise Holdings. And that's going to see a whole flurry of cars come into our market, but also just sort of a change in the time of vehicles we'll see. It won't all just be um, big you know, SUVs, gas guzzlers. They're going to be putting Teslas on our road. Ooh. Which... Those are no, those fancy new Priuses, aren't they? <laughs> they're, they're, they're the top of the line Prius. Yeah, so um, yeah. I think the novelty factor of that, I just, I don't know, I've never driven one. I think it'd be exciting too. So yeah. look, it seems like there are some small measures. This is all part of an effort for many tourism companies at the moment. Scaling up, making sure they've got the bodies, in the case of rental car companies, they've got the cars to cope with what's anticipated to be a busy summer tourist season. Yeah, Nicholas, thank you very much for your time. You can hear more from the business team on Morning Report at 10 to 7. Your Kiwi dollar is out the shop and it's buying things that can get you. 63.04 US cents, 90.38 Australian cents, 61.60 euro cents, 51.86 British pence, 4.251, 83.82 Japanese. Japanese yen and some Filipino pesos. Yeah, 35.01 of those. Uh, it is 25 to 6 here at first up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity, the Commonwealth Games, though. They just roll on and on. I'm heading into the final weekend here in Birmingham. Uh, on the ground there for us is Felicity Reid. Uh, Morena Felicity, how are you? Felicity, how are you? Morena, Nathan. Okay, medals. Were there any medals overnight New Zealand time? Well, after the success of the track and yesterday on the mountain bike, I went to see if we changed the bike with the New Zealand athlete would still win some medals, and we did. It was a bronze medal for Georgia Williams in the road cycling time trial. And Aaron Gates, who already has three golds from these games down at the velodrome, he just missed the podium in a fourth place in the men's race. But this course that they were riding on was pretty gnarly, according to some of the riders. The finish line was at West park and if there are some Wolverhampton Wolves fans out there they might actually know that it's very close to Molyneux Stadium but it took in three roads well districts of three roads from three districts in the black country and it was one of the first things the riders faced was a speed bump just around the first corner at the start 
is this was genuine roads that were open to the traffic like just yesterday. Oh. And the state of that caught a few riders out. England's Dan Bingham got his handlebars tangled up in the spectator fencing after misjudging the corner. Uh, one of the favourites, Welshman Jarrett Thomas, he wiped out with only like a minute or so into racing by taking a corner too hot, as he just described it. But he managed to get back on the bike and make up the time he lost uh, to take the bronze medal. And it was the Australian Rowan Dennis who took gold. But that was quite quite the race and I don't think that played out quite how they imagined it would. Yeah, it's, it's a bit weird when you have to interview people like mountain bikers and stuff and they tell you it's gnarly and I'm like, does that still mean what it meant when I was 14 or is it a different version of it? So you just kind of nod and you go, yeah, like that is about the best sound to make. Tell me about, um, I know that um, Vicky obviously will be very interested in what's happening in the cricket. What what is um, What action have you seen in the team sports? Yeah, it's a busy uh, time this morning for team sports. The cricket is underway at Edgbaston with the White Ferns taking on England. This is a top of Group B clash, but Vicky won't be very happy to hear. We've had a terrible start. They were 12 for 3 in the four overs with Captain Sophie Devine, Amelia Kerr and Susie Bates all back in the shed. A short time ago, just before I came on here, they were 21 for 3 in the seventh over. Both of these sides have been unbeaten. It's a T20 competition here at the Games, and both sides have been unbeaten with wins over Sri Lanka and South Africa. Uh, today's result will determine who plays who in the semi-finals, and on the opposite side of the draw, it's Australia, who, surprise, surprise, have been the uh, dominant side in the shortest format as they have been. And just also over at the hockey turf, overnight the Black Six women got a comfortable. 4-1 win over South Africa, so they're into the semi-finals, which is early tomorrow morning New Zealand time, and the Black Sticks men are up against South Africa uh, in about half an hour. But they'll be hoping for a similar result because both of these teams have had a win, a loss, and a draw so far. So they're obviously on the same competition point. So this could be a decider with the teams about who moves on to the next part of the competition. Yeah. And then the big one this morning as well, we've got the netball, the Silver Ferns clash with England, which I'm sure is going to actually have quite a big crowd here. A couple of the locals I spoke to when I first arrived in Birmingham were very interested to see how the Roses go. And again, this one, the outcome will determine who faces who in the semi-finals. Uh, if the Silver Ferns win, they face Australia, lose and it's Jamaica. And that like, make-up is because Jamaica bet the Aussie Diamonds overnight. I, I saw, saw that. one headline out of Australia calling it an extraordinary boil over for the ages. It was a three goal loss. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what? We lost. What? They're, a lot of tying the kangaroo down. Thank you uh, very much. Felicity Reid is with us there in uh, Birmingham. Yeah, well, hey, this is um, a thing we've been talking about this morning and getting your thoughts in. Thanks. They've been great to come in as well. New research has found that listening to the right kind of music can help alleviate chronic pain, especially if you're choosing the tunes yourself. UK and Irish scientists asked 286 adults with acute pain to rate how bad their pain was before and after listening to a music track. So I discussed the findings with the study's lead author, Claire Howland, from the University of London's School of Psychology. So it's a really interesting project. We actually were working on this last year. One of the music artists we worked with was actually from Australia. His name's Anatole. So I'm from Queen Mary University, and we wanted to understand how music can help to reduce pain. So we know that it can work for some people in some circumstances, but we wanted to know like what was really behind this, like what is the psychological mechanisms that can kind of explain this. Yeah. Um, so we, we just devised an experiment 
and we measured uh, different people's reactions to the music. Uh, we used the same song in different versions. And what was really interesting about this was that we had kind of a really lively, upbeat, energetic version. And we had a really low tempo uh, version of the exact same song, just with all of the different elements brought out. And we found that both versions of the song were equally good, which was really interesting. So it doesn't have to be a particular right. type of music. Do you know what it comes from is a really intuitive thing that nurses have been kind of doing with soldiers and uh, in war zones and things where they didn't really have anything else at the time. So like music therapy has been around for a long, long time, 50, 60, 70 years. But they're just really trying to get to the bottom of why these things work so that they can kind of be rolled out in a more systematic way and a more reliable way. So we know, for example, that if you really don't like a piece of music, it won't make you feel better at all. It will really irritate you. So a few years back, they might have stuck to classical music or they might say, to, you know, the Mozart effect. Uh, that's been kind of debunked since because, of course, people come along and say, I hate Mozart. I don't want to listen to that. Um, I actually find that quite annoying. You know, that's not for me. And we know from speaking to patients that actually people can get really great relief from listening to heavy metal music or really like really up tempo, heavy rock or electronic dance music. But that's very individual. It's very specific. Yeah. So the benefits be generalised across the population, but how people get there is quite different and quite individual. Because I'm thinking clear, you know, like music is an interesting art form. It can get in, it can make you stand up, it can make you wiggle about, it can make you move, it makes you, you know, it make, makes you do all sorts of things, which, which I'm get, gathering is firing off some part of your brain that makes that want to to do that so is, are you you're finding then that what is certain parts of the brain are reacting like how does the music part connect with the pain part that's the bit I'm, I, I can't figure out here yeah so both music and pain both of them actually occupy quite a large portion of your brain when they're happening they both have very physical components in the physical part of your brain called the motor cortex up the top and they both have a lot of emotional components and personal components. So there's lots of different parts of the brain that actually overlap when you're listening to music or when you're experiencing pain. But when you're really focused on your favorite music, it reduces your brain's processing capacity for the pain. So it's very difficult for the two things to be happening at the same time in your brain. So you're kind of switching it to focus into this kind of more positive energy for want of a better word, but you still might be aware of, oh, you know, I do have this physical sensation. But rather than attributing that to a very, very negative, painful experience, you might be able to think of it as something that just doesn't bother you as much or something more positive. Because this is New Zealand radio station, I think it's important to mention that when you do a lot of coordinated movements together, it increases your pain threshold. And I say that because of the hacker. There's a lot of evidence to show that a lot of war dances like that actually increase your pain threshold. That synchronised and coordinated movement in a group is really important. What does your research mean for the future of pain management? Like, am I going to see all of a sudden Spotify appearing in the pharmacy? Like, what, what do you think might happen or where could this possibly work? Well, I mean, already, like in London and University London, College London, they're doing projects where they actually have singing in pharmacies. So they actually are trying to bring the arts right into your initial point of care with your pharmacy or your GP. So that the two things should be, you know, no point telling people this will be good for your health unless people can get access to it. So that's the next line for public health. That's Claire Howland from the University of London School of Psychology. 
Uh, we're heading towards 6 o'clock. I'm Nathan Radida here on First Up on RNZ National. So between now and 6, we go to South Africa where Mark Hinton is standing by uh, to tell us the latest on the All Blacks team naming. And I want to know too what the other media, the local media, are telling him about the All Blacks. And country and soul sensation Tammy Nielsen has a request for her audience, which could save her livelihood. <laughs> We speak about the professionals of the broadcasting world, of course, who mean Morning Report. Diane Espinar is with me in the studio here as we look ahead to what Morning Report has after six. How we, are you, sir? I'm well. We really need to adopt that as our theme song for the programme, don't we? I think so. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Yeah, it is. It's the, it's the hi-hat and it's the pulling up in the Capri. It's everything. It's the bass guitar. Yeah, me. yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you reckon it's played quite high <laughs> up the chest, eh, one of those ones? Oh, I reckon. Yeah. It's, <laughs> a, it's, a, it's at funk height. Yeah, your yeah. funk height. Yeah. <laughs> Where is that one, the funk height? <laughs> what are you looking at today on the We're show? We're looking at um, this case of... Brittany Griner, she's the mm. uh, American basketball star. She's been sentenced to nine years in prison in Russia uh, for bringing CBD cartridges into the country. Uh, all forms of marijuana are, are legal in Russia. But she she was prescribed this in the States, States yeah. for pain relief, um, left it in her luggage, didn't, didn't check. She's been somewhat of a political pawn in these real tensions between Russia and the US and has, has ended up with a nine-year sentence. So we'll be looking at that this morning hearing from her lawyers and our correspondents in the US locally we're looking at that awful story of that uh, man being mauled to death by a, a oh, pack of dogs in Pangaru. I'm going to talk to a, a ward councillor from Kaikohi Hokianga um, about how the community is dealing with all this. I've had a pretty tough year with a, a, a number of incidents there and three of these four dogs are on the loose so we'll, we'll check in on that. Um, I don't know if you're planning on going shopping in a new market on Saturday Nathan but um, there's a, um, a big protest from uh, Brian Tamaki's lot, oh, the neat. Freedom and Rights Coalition. The Business Association and Newmarket are pretty upset about this. We'll be talking uh, to, to the local business association there, so I'm not sure if that's uh, mm. collapsed. Any plans you had for uh, getting up? Do you get up early on a Saturday morning? I, I try really hard not to, no. <laughs> and a new feature this morning that we're, it's going to be a weekly feature on Morning Report is Do a political you? panel that's uh, it's sort of to wind up the uh, show uh, around about quarter to nine this morning, and we've got uh, Jessica Much Mackay from TVNZ and our own Jane Patterson with Corin and myself. So we've got four political editors in Excellent. there. So how many political editors does it take to what do you know. call that is it you know here a gaggle a or a, it's a murmuring a podcast it's You've a got, murmuring yeah. of, politi- of political editors so cool. we'll talk there's lots to talk about there's a national party conference coming up it's been a tough week for national I've yeah. uh, been slipping a little bit in the polls and the government too hasn't had to cover itself in glory with this cost of living payment which seems to be going yeah, to people. um uh, overseas people, rich people, and a few dead people a few too. Few dead ones as well. <laughs> thank, thank you very much, Guy. On Guy Espinar up with Corin Dan up after six. Well, look, it's no longer compulsory indoors, but if you're heading to a gig, should you be masking up? You know, some artists and promoters are encouraging their audiences to wear face coverings to help them, you know, help them keep safe. That's because a COVID outbreak during a tour can destroy years' worth of planning. It can wreak musicians' livelihoods, their voices, or whatever. Not to mention, of course, devastating health consequences. Reporter Leonard Powell has the story. Asking my audience to just try to help us to stay on the road, you know, is something that I really felt compelled to do um, to protect my band, to protect myself and my crew and all the audience members themselves. That's local musician Tammy Nielsen, who is currently on the New Zealand leg of a world tour for her new album, Kingmaker. I have a more mature demographic and wanting to protect them as well. She's taken to social media, urging showgoers to wear masks in order to protect performers and other audience members. 
At her sold-out gig last Saturday in Auckland, the 2,000-strong audience listened, and the sea of face coverings warmed Nielsen's heart. Walking onto the stage and seeing 2,000 people wearing masks because they care enough about us to protect us and to protect each other was really, really, it filled my heart and it put me at ease completely. And then I could perform the show, um, you know, feeling pretty safe that, that I could continue to tour for the rest of this month. Nielsen says she's seen the toll that COVID has taken on the live music scene, with touring parties struck down by the illness on the road. I've just had way too many artist friends and colleagues who get about three or four shows into a tour that they've been looking forward to for and working on for a year after so many cancellations and postponements for the past couple of years. So much, you know, heartbreak and money lost and income. And if if all it takes is asking if someone can please wear a mask, that's not a big ask, I don't think, when it comes to the livelihood of the performers that you love. Promoter Ruben Bonner runs Auckland-based Banished Music, which puts on shows for local and international artists. After the lean times caused by lockdowns and alert level restrictions, Bonner says the live industry is still not out of the woods. After you've gotten through this really tough couple of years where you weren't sure if the environment would let the show go ahead because of restrictions, now we're kind of full guns blazing and we're able to do shows but that doesn't mean that if a if an artist gets sick that it's going to go ahead because that's another way things get stopped really quickly so it's still like Russian roulette really While banished music staff wear masks at shows and encourage the audience to do the same, Bonner says he understands that some people see gigs as an escape from all things COVID so may be reluctant but from a promoter's point of view, he says the last-minute cancellations due to artists going down with COVID can be extremely disruptive. Yeah, it's a nightmare. It really just it just smashes things around completely, like on an organisational level, on a morale level, on an emotional level, and severely on a financial level. For Tammy Nielsen, when she travelled overseas and saw how badly other countries had been affected, it really hit home. She recalls a conversation she had with an Uber driver in Texas back in March. I said, oh, we, we reached 100 deaths today, That our first 100 deaths. And my Uber driver, she just started sobbing and said, I, do you mean 100,000? And I said, no. And she said, I'm sorry, uh, I lost my mama to COVID. And we, we just don't realize <laughs> how horrific it's been around the world because we we haven't lived in that experience. She says while no one likes wearing masks, it's worth it to keep people safe. I don't know one person who enjoys wearing a mask. I don't. (laughs) And, you know, it's very disconcerting looking out to an audience and seeing, not getting to see people's smiles and expressions, you know. So it's not something that any of us enjoy, but it's the same as like if you sneeze, in front of someone, you sneeze into your elbow or you you try to protect them from like, it's just really basic hygiene, you know? And even without COVID, I mean, we have so many bugs going around right now and you don't want to give that to anyone and you don't want to get it from anyone. Tammy Nielsen there uh, with that report from Leonard Powell. Well, the All Blacks take on the Springboks this Sunday morning in Mbombela. Joining us from South Africa is Fairfax Senior Sports Journalist Mark Hinton. Kia ora, man. How are you? 
Kieran, mate, it's called Stuff now. Fairfax is our previous owner. Oh, there we go, right, Stuff. There we are. Hey, tell me this. <laughs> Samasuni Tokiaho gets the start at hooker. I thought that was quite an interesting selection there as well. What, what have you looked at with this team and found the most interesting selection? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that was the most notable selection. Look, this will be just a second start. Um, and he's a young man, as we all know, with a powerful game. But uh, Cody Taylor dropped all together. He seems to have been the... Um, I guess the the guy that's paid the price uh, for this run of poor form through July from the All Blacks, so notable there. And I, you know, I just think the whole front row, Nate. You know what it's like when you're playing the Springboks. Well, maybe you and I don't know what it's like. But no, thank God like we don't. No, we don't. But it's, you know, you are you know you're going to get a massive examination up front, especially in the front row. And look, the um, All Blacks front row is George Bauer, who's in the second season of Test rugby and his first as a starter. Sam Asoni. Takiaha, as we just touched on, will be starting a second test. And Angus Tarvau, who's a bit of an old, an old warrior, but he's, he's played 22 tests. He's only started five of those. So, you know, this, and he's the third string uh, tight here in New Zealand, and the, the top two aren't here. So, look, this is a pretty raw front row. And if you're looking at starting points for, for, for trying to kind of neutralise the spring box, your front row is pretty high up there. And so I, I, I think that is going to be where the game could be won or lost. If, if that green front row can kind of somehow match what those South Africans are going to bring, I think they might be able to lay some sort of foundation. But you have to you have to have your doubts, mate, as we yeah. all do in New Zealand after watching the All Blacks through the last five years. Oh, look, I, I, I'll be honest to say it here. I think South Africa's favourites are one, and I think it deserved to be so. I know Caleb Clark, it's nice to see him back. I think he adds a really good extra factor of perhaps the physicality with the elusiveness. But I wanted to know this, Mark. You know, you, you guys in the in the press pack, you've known each other a very long time. You're in South Africa right now. You probably aren't getting too much comment out of the All Blacks themselves. So what are those local journalists, when you guys are standing around chatting, what's the vibe you're getting off them about how they're feeling about the All Blacks? Well, yeah, I get the feeling that they don't, they haven't certainly bought into the demise of the All Blacks as much as we all have in New Zealand. Um, you know, they're they're a bit removed, and there's this wonderful tradition and history, and the All Blacks record against South Africa for all for all. It seems like that you know they have had our number on one or two occasions. Um, the All Blacks record's pretty good. I think they've won seven of the last ten, nine of the last twelve. Um, and, and if you look at um, since we thrashed them 57 nil in Albany, um, there's been a lot of close tests. I think six of the seven tests we've played since then have been decided by two points or fewer. So, I, you know, there, there is an abiding respect for the All Blacks in this country. They they really understand uh, that you have to be at your very best to beat the All Blacks. Look, I've been telling them that you don't have to be at your very best anymore. Ireland showed that. They will probably played at like 70 to 80% and beat us quite comfortably. So this is an All Blacks team that's struggling, Nate, isn't it? For form, confidence, yeah. momentum, all those sort of things. They're vulnerable as all heck. You know, there's no doubt about that. And I think the TAB's been generous to make it a kind of $2.170 balance. So I think South Africa are very warm favourites, yeah. particularly next week, but probably this week as well. All right. Hey, thank you very much for your time. Uh, stuff's Mark Hinton there, the All Blacks and Springboks play at three in the morning on Sunday morning. Yeah. And uh, we'll all gather back next week and uh, talk about how they went. I've been asking you about headache songs. Songs that give you a headache and songs that make you happy. Here's one, Emmerdale Farm theme, Headache. Australian National Anthem at the Com Games, Headache. 
Uh, headache song, Whitney Houston, I'll Always Love You. Feel Good song, Pocket Full of Rainbows by Elvis Presley. Feel Good song, Glenn uh, says, uh, Glenn Gisborne says, Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he doesn't like Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick by Ian Drury tune. There's uh, another one. Live and Let Die always gives me an ache behind the eye. Both the Wings and the Guns and Roses versions. Uh, that one's come through anonymously. Uh, thank you very much for your time with us this week. Uh, Morning Reporters next with Guyon and uh, Corinne. From uh, all of us here at First Up, have yourself a wonderful weekend. Truebridge in the hot seat on Monday. I'll see you next Tuesday.